0: all of our problems uh welcome guys thanks for joining us thank you podcast yeah hey you know i i mean nothing like a few little miracles like just having things work the way they're supposed to right
1: but it's one of those things where we're smoking cigars we're enjoying each other's company nothing nothing (laughs) can go wrong even the technical (laughs) hiccups doesn't matter all is well
0: good lord well, listen, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, let, me, uh, let me attempt to introduce you guys. Um, so, Josh Abersky, you are Deputy Executive Director and Head of Government Affairs for the Premium Cigar Association. Um, this is how we met. In addition to that, because that clearly isn't enough of a full-time job for you, you're <laughs> adjunct professor at George Washington University Graduate School of Political Affairs. Um, you're also a contributing editor to countless media outlets. I couldn't even begin to name them all. And, and on top of it, um, your day job is personal for you because you're also the owner of Embassy Cigar Lounge.
1: Yeah, it's been a, a fun ride, you know, I think with the cigar world, I've been all in on it since I started with uh, CTA, or it used to be IPC, IPCPR, uh, before the name change, and Um, Yeah, I'm a retailer, you know, we represent brick-and-mortar retailers and cigar lounges, (coughs) cigar bars around the country, 3,000-plus members, and um, the lounge in Quantico, right near the Marine Corps base, I'm a partner in that, and soon to be a, a, a partner in a cigar lounge in Erie, Pennsylvania, my hometown, that we're building from scratch. And um, it's got a historical theme to it called the brig after the brig Niagara. And um, yes, we have cannons. I'm, I'm also a big firearms enthusiast and a bourbon enthusiast. So this is like the perfect podcast uh, for, for me part of the, you're, the work that you're, you're doing. You're, you're part of the family. And uh, in your right
0: hand, uh, who is uh, state advocacy director, is uh, Glenn Lope.
2: Hello there. Glenn Loop here.
0: Great to Thanks. be with you. Thanks for joining us, sir.
1: Glenn's the elder statesman of of the department, he, <laughs> he's with a wealth of knowledge been what? 15 years in the the cigar industry. Well, I mean, we, if, uh, if, just if there to, was a Mount Rushmore uh, of cigar advocacy and lobbying, you would see Glenn's lovely face there. Oh god. See, Josh,
2: Josh said he was a bourbon enthusiast, which means he's been drinking already. No, no, don't. No, 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 no let, let me put it this way: I'll, the only part of that I'll, I'll uh, embrace is the uh, elder statesman part, because literally my first position out of college was working for the Virginia legislature before Josh was born. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it, it's good that it's good that he has you around to uh, keep him in line.
2: <laughs> we we keep each other in line. Uh, we
1: got a great uh, team. We we have fun with it. In addition to the, you know, a lot of hard work. There's a lot of challenges, which I'm sure we'll go, get into. But. Uh, yeah. Glenn has been a pillar. You know, we we could not have found a better fit for the organization, and you know, state advocacy. But we're we're a very um, you know, we're a unit. We have one other person on our team in-house, Ryan Parada, and we don't look at it like divisions. It's a, a three-person unit. And, um, you know, we have, what, 30,000 bills we have to track between the state and federal every year. And wow. uh, it's, it's an all-hands-on team approach. Um, there's there's all, all the glory and all the uh, problems are, are shared. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, um, you know, before we get into
0: the meat of things, and and there's a lot to talk about and a lot going on, um, I I always kind of start off on the lighter side of things. And it's it's kind of why we started the publication. And it's why these three things, um, at least to most people uh, end up being so meaningful. So so I'll start off with some easy questions. Um, Josh, do you remember your first cigar?
1: i do it was uh in college uh i was part of the winston churchill society i originally thought i was going to be a history professor um which i had a really good political science professor dr joseph desaro who i'm still very close friends with he was the person that kind of got me into both politics and cigars and um, so we had you know we met every week we talked about the political issues really switched into political history, uh, but wanted to learn the actual ins and outs of it before I would, you know, become a political science professor. And, um, you know, he had a cruise and it was known as the booze cruise during intercession where you drank tequila and smoked cigars in addition to studying Mexican and Caribbean politics. And that was what really cemented it for me of like, this is what I want to do. I'm interested in all of these issue areas and um you know it, it, it now i'm blessed to have my dream job where i get to teach on the side but also represent an incredible industry yeah that's that's amazing do you remember what this cigar was oh there were a few i mean i i do remember you know uh, a mint java as being one of my first <sighs> ones. um also you know the rocky patel i think it was 1990 um rocky patel had burned i went to college just outside of pittsburgh that was a, the leaf and bean uh, jernigans and burn were really the places right. that i got into cigars and you know learn the differences between you know what is sold in a premium cigar lounge and a and a convenience store or gas station and um, you know developed a, a palette you know it but that was um, you learn something when you go to a cigar lounge every day or, 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 or you learn something each time you go there and right. i my that's kind of evolved, and now you know I'll smoke the Rocky Patel 60 and the ALR. I, I really don't smoke flavored cigars anymore. Right,
0: right. So, what do you remember? Your first drink of alcohol? Oh
1: yeah, it was Bombay <laughs> Sapphire gin. Believe it or not. Wow. Uh, Johnny Bombay started Bastille. at the top, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't mess around, did he? We Ouch. drank that in college. That was the drink of choice, um, and um, that and uh, when I worked political campaigns, uh, a lot of us would get the Vlad vodka, which was like nine dollars a bottle. And the funny story is, and, and it, it's both were around the same time. We had the real nice stuff, and then we had the crap that you know we would drink just to right. you know ha- let loose. But the vodka was so bad, we would put it through a Brita filter three times to make it better, and it was still terrible. So I don't do that anymore, but Glenn and I shared a few Bombay Sapphire uh, martinis (laughs) at the mayor's uh, uh, restaurant in Vegas, uh, Oscar's Steakhouse, which if you're ever in Vegas, that is an essential place to go to.
0: Right. Right. That's amazing. All right. And then obviously the last question is, do you remember the first time you shot a firearm?
1: Yeah. Funny, it was black powder. It was a black powder rifle. I when I was in high school, going into college, I was into uh, war reenacting and um, I did the Civil War reenacting uh, for a while, but mainly French and Indian War and um, the first one that i shot was actually a 58 caliber replica enfield rifle and we melted our own bullets out of toilet parts in order to fire them so let you know they lead balls we melted them there was an event and then we shot them so kind of a cool that's story ma- a that's nerdy.
0: fantastic <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, we, we, we start out, you know, every, every podcast with, you know, those questions and it's very, very rare that, that people don't immediately smile when they hear those questions and then immediately jump back into, you know, these, these kind of, you know, milestone moments in their lives. Right. Because, you know, there's, there's just something about these things that, um, you know they're they're memorable events you know I, I don't remember what i had for dinner last night but i, <laughs> I vividly remember um, you know the first time i experienced these things and you know i don't know if it was because um, you know some people describe it as you know growing up as a child you know you you kind of look at you know your grown up heroes you know doing these adult things that are kind of forbidden to kids, right? And drinking and smoking and shooting guns. It's like, no, you know, th- that's, that's adult stuff. And so the yeah. first time that you get to partake, it it feels like that transition into being right you know, an adult, right? And, yep. uh, and, and everybody always seems to vividly remember it, even if, you know, like I said, I can't remember what I had for dinner, but, um, mm-hmm but I always remember those things. So that's, uh, that's cool. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that. And you know, what's, what's especially cool. And, and I guess I'll provide some context because you're, I don't know that you're our typical guest on the podcast, but here's, here's why I was so excited when I met you and why I wanted to have you guys on is, um, you know, in all three of these areas, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, um, you know what this magazine is for is is really what we call it's an American lifestyle publication. It's about people that share this common interest and love in in America and the freedoms that we have, and um, and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, while this this is it, by no means a political publication, we don't get into the political debate. Um, But but what we do believe in is um, a celebration of our freedoms and and, you know, the rights that that we have as Americans to celebrate those freedoms. And, you know, there aren't many industries, um, you know, that have dedicated bureaus um, in some cases fighting against, you know, those industries. Right. So as as I say to everybody, I. You know i love this country and i love the american dream and i love that we each have the freedom to pursue whatever that dream means to us and you know in many cases it, it is starting your own business pursuing your own livelihood and as hard as you're willing to work um you know kind of defines your success in life but you know starting a business is challenging um competing against competition is challenging Um, all of that is crazy, but people that start businesses in these industries, I think are especially crazy. Um, you know, because in many cases you're, you know, one of your competitors is, is, your own government. Um, and, and that's kind of where, where you come in and, and why I want to introduce, um, all of our readership across, you know, whether you're a cigar smoker or not, here's what I believe is that, um, you know, freedoms are not exclusive to your own personal tastes and preferences. So while you may hear about, you know, fights for these freedoms that maybe don't personally involve you, um, each restriction of a freedom sets a precedent by which other freedoms can be restricted. And and that's why I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about um, the cigar industry and some of the work that you do, and maybe some of the things that should be on our radar. Um, yes. Just as as American citizens, whether anybody smokes a cigar or not, um, we should have the freedom to do so should we choose. And uh, and and the same goes with uh, you know alcohol and firearms and <sighs> you know as we say you know as part of our brand. Um, you know, these these three things are, are anchored to the American dream and America freedom all the way to our founding. And, you know, wars have been fought and blood has been spilled um, over these things in a, in a lot of cases. And I, I think it's important that, uh, that as we all sit back in our comfy chairs, um, you know, that that we remain aware um, that these things are going on in the background, and that we have great people like yourselves and Glenn um, to uh, to be out there representing
1: us. I'm interested in Glenn's answers to those questions. I know one of them, but I've never. This is a really interesting podcast. I'm like, I'm loving the stuff. <laughs>
2: you're not the nc josh back off all right glenn, fire
1: away. So do do? this is this is good to know about you
0: all right glenn so so here it is so so do you remember your first cigar
2: la uh, gloria cabana uh, okay made, and made where by,
0: where where were you and who were you with
2: made by ernesto Carello before he sold the company to general cigar Okay. Um, I was at Frankie Rowland Steakhouse in downtown Roanoke, Virginia, and it was the very reason I got into the cigar lobbying because uh, our, one of our former governors proposed a smoking ban, first ever smoking ban in Virginia history. And I said, how dare uh, our legislature tell me I can't smoke a cigar in a bar that welcomes me at the entrance to the most beautiful local steakhouse uh, you could imagine rivals anything in a major city and they welcomed us as cigar smokers and it was physically attached to the cigar shop physically so when they opened this bar and you just walk in and you go whether you're a smoker or not you just walk into this place and you go i should be smoking a cigar here (laughs) right? and you know sinatra's in the background the dark red carpet the dark mahogany bar it just said smoke a cigar walked into the cigar shop and I went went into the door and I said, that's the band of a cigar smoker, (laughs) sight unseen, never tasted before. I said, this is it. And uh, when I first met Ernesto Corello at a national trade show, I thought I was in the presence of royalty because of that very moment. Right. Um, On the drinking part, it's a miracle I ever drank again because my first alcoholic beverage was an old Milwaukee beer. at a local drive-in theater, and it's a miracle I ever drank again. (laughs) But I proved myself wrong and drank a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, Jack Daniels got me through college successfully. Um, It's kind of like that line from from, uh, Christmas vacation. How did you get through Christmas? Well, I had a lot of help from my friend Jack Daniels. That's Uh, right. And I'm shocked. Uh, Just like Josh, my my first uh, shot was black powder in Boy Scouts, probably somewhere between 13 and 15 years Mm -hmm. old. Okay. Black powder, and uh, my father uh, passed away some time back, and I got his entire gun collection. It's upstairs. I could go I could put us on, you know, dark this out and go upstairs and start bringing down parts of the collection. Uh, but it, one of them's a black powder rifle, and it brought back a lot of memories. And then I look in, and there's a black powder pistol, and then everything else. I need to start a small war. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Well, that's well, a good transition. And
2: like you, I can tell you all that and can't tell you what I had for dinner last night.
0: Well, you know, it's, uh, it, it's funny how those things work. You know, it's, uh, you know, so, so, you know, speaking of starting a war, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're sometimes in the, uh, you know, the, the semi war business, it feels like. Um, you know, tell us, tell us, you know, essentially what you do, you know, for, for those, uh, you know, that have never, never had to, um, you know, become educated on on such things. Tell us, uh, tell us what you guys do,
2: Josh. You want to kick it off?
1: You take this one first.
2: Well, I'm on the state front. Um, you know, I monitor with Josh and with our team. <clears throat> Excuse me. I monitor what's going on in every state in the country on, on the cigar front, and you can't. Analyze that on the cigar front without looking at, as Josh mentioned, 30,000. It ranges between 20 and 30,000 bills introduced annually at the state level. Throw in the local governments and what happens in Congress, and you can double it. Um, because we get swept up into anything that has something to do with nicotine, anything to do with vape, e-cigarettes, cigarette taxation. So we have to track all things tobacco uh, in order to chisel it down to the things that specifically very specifically impact the premium handmade cigar industry and and pipe sector Um, and that's a lot because those that are against our issues on the tobacco front don't know how to separate us out so that you don't impact adversely impact uh, what is one half of 1% of the total tobacco universe. Um, so when, when state capitals want to attack cigarette taxation or um, taxation on vape and, uh, and flavored tobacco products, all too often we get swept up into that type of legislation. We work for exemptions from that type of legislation we work to kill that type of legislation and then every now and then we get to turn around and support legislation like uh bills that impose a tax cap on premium handmade cigars specifically or allow cigar shops to carry on premise or on on and off premise alcohol permitting for cigar shops or the opening of cigar bars or going for exemptions from smoking in bars to exemptions for specifically cigar bars. Um, So it's it's all over the board, but it can range from uh, preventing a state to allow local governments stronger regulatory and taxation powers than even that of the state Mm -hmm. to legislation like just passed in Florida, where it allows local governments to regulate smoking on public parks and beaches, but specifically exempts premium handmade cigars and pipes. Um, So the exemption game is is one that we take very, very seriously because we have proven and we have now amassed a, a significant body of research that allows us to make the public health case that we are not every other tobacco product, that we don't have the adverse public health consequences associated with other tobacco products, or that we're such a small piece of the tobacco universe that we don't deserve a given level of taxation, um, a given level of taxation that may be considered because they want to raise cigarette taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So it's quite literally all over the board Uh, We have friendly state capitals, we have unfriendly state capitals, we have friendly and unfriendly allies in legislatures across the nation. Uh, Just like the alliances that Josh works to develop with the United States Congress and the United States Senate, uh, we have our allies and we have our detractors. And the key is education. We spend a lot of time both at the state and federal front educating lawmakers. As to why we are so unique, why we are so different, yeah. Uh, and and that message does not fall on deaf ears. Even with even with legislators, we've we Josh and I have uh, encountered legislators many many times over the last several years where they start out as an adversary to our cause and end up saying, you know what, I get it. And when you present a mountain of evidence on the public health front or the demographic front. That makes the case from very, very objective third party research. they understand. and, and that's where you know, we come into play. And for the first time in the history of this industry, our political machine is never off. Uh, you know There's an old joke in, in Richmond, Virginia that any hour of the day or night, a law firm is billing Philip Morris. Uh, and it's because their political machine is never off. Well, now ours for the first time is never off. We've got a presence in Washington DC. We make our presence felt in state capitals. We've built alliances and coalitions with our retail partners in every state in the country to where where we cannot dispatch lobbyists to represent us in every state or every region in the country. We're spending a tremendous amount of time teaching retail tobacconists how to be their own advocates. And we've got an amazing, an amazing cadre of local retailers that are now just as comfortable giving testimony in a state capital as they are selling cigars, and wow. I think that's a testimony to where the politi- the level of political sophistication has come in in this industry. And I'll shut and, up now. <laughs>
1: and, and we've, we've had to, you know, develop those partnerships and, and mobilize and embolden retailers and consumers to get involved. Um, And that's why, you know, we we are honored to be on the podcast because we want to get in front of consumers, let them know about things like CigarAction.org, our uh, website dedicated to informing consumers on some of the latest trends. You know, Glenn has a lot of ground to cover. Um, on the states, with all 50 states, and sometimes the localities, there's very egregious things uh, that transpire. Um, on the federal side, as as he mentioned, you know, Congress is uh, something that is in my. Uh, PURVIEW, BUT ALSO THE FOOD AND DRUG ADMINISTRATION AND THE WHITE HOUSE, AND THEN um, MORE RECENTLY WE'VE STARTED TO GET INVOLVED IN SOME INTERNATIONAL ISSUES, Um, YOU KNOW, WE VOICED OUR OPINION ON uh, A PROPOSAL IN THE EUROPEAN UNION, YOU KNOW, THE PREMIUM CIGAR MARKET, WE'RE THE LARGEST CONSUMER OF PREMIUM CIGARS IN THE UNITED STATES, AND WE THINK THAT WE NEED TO CARRY OUR WEIGHT and, and you know, bad policy has no border. You right. know It's one where if, if something in the European Union or Australia or New Zealand pop up, the next thing that we know it could be in our backyard. So being vigilant um, and, and sifting through, and we have good technology resources that help us do that. Uh, but it's daunting and, and being able to rapidly respond and, and get involved quicker, you know we've taken the playbook of some other organizations out there and, and even in the areas that you cover with the, the magazine right. you know the nra and the firearms groups and the alcohol policy groups one of the, the consultants that we work with he represents both craft spirits and premium cigars because mm-hmm. there is that connectedness of You know these are highly regulated adult products so you know how can we take best practices to grow our grassroots army so to speak that we can be competitive we don't have the financial resources being 0.01 percent of the overall tobacco market um, like some of the other big guys or some of the other big industries like pharmaceuticals um, or defense we are, we have to be very nimble. We have to be very swift and leverage relate relationships and partnerships accordingly.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? You know, I, I mean, I, I do think, um, and this is the reason why I really wanted to bring you on is I think it's easy for, for all of us, um, you know, to to not really focus on what's going on behind the scenes until the fight shows up at our doorstep, right? So, um, you know, whether it's it's gun regulation or, or alcohol, which you know you you don't see as much of, you know, these days at least, um, but certainly on the tobacco side, um, you know, do you think there there's certainly a clear fight and agenda against cigarettes, right? Um, I, I think that's indisputable. Um, do you think uh, cigars get lumped into that just out of um, laziness that it's easier to just ban tobacco and nicotine, um, or or is it um, is there a clear agenda behind cigars?
1: I think there's a you know there's a multitude of factors that are behind it. Um, one of which is that the opposition is very well funded, very well organized, and they're existence is to prohibit tobacco products. Mm. And, um, you know, if you look at a lot of pieces of legislation, a lot of regulations, it is cigarettes and other tobacco products. Right. And for us, it's that education piece, as, as Glenn mentioned, saying that, you know, here are the differences between premium cigars and pipe tobacco. You know, we represent age verified venues. If you look at enforcement data, our members are not selling tobacco products in right. any statistically significant uh, sense to underage folks or, or youth. So that's an important factor, in addition to the health um, arguments that Glenn asserted. So we also couple that with the small business side of things that, you know, it, our, the retail sector employs over 30,000 people in the United States, you know, if you add the secondary and tertiary, the box makers and the, um, you know, cellophane, um, you know, on the cigar, the packaging, you're talking about, you know, over 200,000 employees in the United States, not to even mention the Caribbean Basin, like Honduras, Nicaragua, um, and then the Dominican Republic, the cigar producing countries. There is an interconnectedness, and that's where we we go to government and say, hey, you know, your regulation in the U.S., if you, you know, ban this product or if you restrict it or make it undergo overly burdensome regulations that cost, you know, millions of dollars, you are going to affect the population um, and the people in the DR in Honduras and Nicaragua. Mm -hmm where you're going to have other issues where they will lose jobs that will create immigration issues and migration issues. So that interconnectedness has been an an argument that has really caught on in the past, you know, two or three years. And I think it's an important argument that has a lot of weight uh, moving forward. But, you know, to directly answer your question, you know, there's an incentive for you know, policymakers that are anti-tobacco and anti-tobacco organizations to go after the whole um, sure. and conflate the information. And, and that's that's where um, we come in to make those distinctions.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I remember, you know, I mean, there's there's been, as you said, I mean, countless bills that have come across in, in past years where, you know, it's kind of rolled across my desk and I kind of raise an eyebrow like, you know, wow, you know, the end may be near. But, you know, clearly you guys have been successful at, you know, creating carve outs and exceptions, you know, to that general rule while the steamroller on on cigarettes continues to move ahead.
1: And we're very fortunate, and you said it in your introduction, that we're fortunate to be in the United States where we have our system of government. You know, it moves fast and slow at different points in time, and you have to be very calculated as a government affairs professional on what strategies and what techniques to deploy at, at certain points in the process. The process is messy, it's convoluted, it can be complex. Um, but you know, you look at the wins that have been achieved, you know, it's on the legislative front, it's on the regulatory front, and also the courts. The courts have been a fail safe, and I think that's where you see a lot of the connections with the firearm industry. Sometimes bad policy gets through a legislative branch um but you know there is the courts which were we were been able to successfully challenge the food and drug administration three times recently had a, a victory we're still waiting on what that remedy might be um they delayed when the briefs are due um but it was determined that the deeming regulation on premium cigars the fda you know having that authority over it that it was arbitrary and capricious it violated the administrative procedures act and that's a big win that you know telling the fda that they were wrong in the process that they didn't evaluate the data and the comments of the interest groups and the general public properly
0: that's yeah, That's that's huge. That's unbelievable. So so, what are what are some of the big things that are on your radar now? Um, you know, what are what are some of the biggest threats
1: that you see out there? Glenn, you take that one first, and I'll back clean up.
2: Well, for the, um, aren't you in California?
0: unfortunately, man that's uh, you know it, it's it's offensive in California that I even hold this unlit thing indoors <laughs> and and I would probably offend far more if I walked outside well uh, and as you know there's there's plenty of uh, you know local uh, municipalities that uh, that just outright forbid it
2: well that's the, the re- that's the very reason I brought this up right now one of the most pressing. Uh, debates in the country is uh, California has put a flavored tobacco ban referendum on the ballot in November, November the 8th. Um, This is because the legislature kicked the can down the road, then it got thrown to the governor's office, then they throw it to a referendum, now it's Prop 31. So we're hoping that Californians will defeat Prop 31, which will cost the state of California millions of dollars in taxes, uh, hit a lot of premium as well as convenience store ty- types of uh, of markets and, and small businesses throughout the state of California. Um, we're working with a coalition to try to get the word out on it's. A, I'm not gonna joke, it's it's a daunting task. Um, it's a daunting task because we really, at this juncture, don't know what role, quote unquote, big tobacco is gonna play in trying to uh, thwart the effort. But it's it means a lot, it could mean, you know, up to 15 to 30 percent of a local cigar shop's annual revenue and for a local small business that's a lot of money um not to mention the jobs not to mention that you know adults ought to be able to make adult decisions right so the fact that they threw it referendums are just a, a horrible political approach to decision making and it it shows the uh the lack of authority that even resides in the legislature to make these types of decisions it's true um so um it's, it's, well, but well, it's not, not not to mention they they
0: don't even play fair at least in in california i know some states have uh you know bills that prohibit this but i, I was going to jokingly ask you know what what is that proposition named on the ballot because yeah, prop 31 you know, we, and and there there's usually a descriptor after Prop 31. Is it is it like the School Safety Act or
2: uh, flavored tobacco ban? Something I have to get. I, that would be a good article for you y- y'all to, to post and to, to blog about and and to help spread the word on. Um, so we'll get you the the specific narrative that's after the Prop 31.
0: But yeah. uh, I, I mean a lot of states and and I'm sure you guys can speak to this. You know that that they're getting you know downright, you know, I, I say it should be illegal. I mean, there's, there's plenty of bills that are passed in California that are titled something completely unrelated to, you know, the bill itself, you know? So, um, you know, there was, there was a crime bill, you know, passed a few years back that was called, um, uh, I think it was prop 47. It was, um, easing, um, it was the School's Improvement Act mm-hmm. is what it was called. It was titled the School's Improvement Act. Um, and they were getting the funding, you know, in the descriptor of the proposition on the ballot was they were going to ease prison overcrowding, which would save the state X billions of dollars, of which a percentage of that would go to the schools. But But what the fine print of that bill really was, was was discounting Class C felonies to ticket and release misdemeanors and, and releasing any nonviolent crime felon from prison early, regardless of his sentence. So it immediately released tens of thousands of felons on the street and then discounted any, you know, nonviolent felony to a ticket and release misdemeanor. And, and immediately, but all, all of this had to do, but but the point of that is just the labeling of some of these bills.
1: Like who wouldn't say, vote yes on the School Improvement Act, right? Yeah, well, like, and you're, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, that's what I, I mean. I said that the government it can be very complex and it's hard to understand. You know, an active issue right now that um, you know we're fighting, we have to fight every Congress at the federal level is a tax increase on tobacco products, premium cigars, pipe tobacco, um, that for cheaper, heavier cigars is um, up to a thousand or, or over a thousand percent tax increase. Basically what it does is it doubles the cigarette tax and makes all tobacco products equal. And it was included last year in the, and it was the biggest threat in the Build Back Better Act in the House Ways and Means version. We were able to get that stripped out in the House and and defend it in the Senate. Um, But that was an uphill battle. We had to send 30,000 letters to Congress from you know retailers, consumers, and manufacturers. Uh, But that has popped up again. We don't think it has a ton of traction, but the impetus of the bill is to support minority maternal health. And the pay for is the the tobacco thing. And we said to the sponsor, like, you know, the, uh, you know, premise of the bill itself, we don't have any issue with. It's the fine print of the pay for you got to think about the businesses and also minority-owned businesses right. that would be harmed if this were to go into effect. And you know the flavor ban in California that Glenn referenced. I think August second is leading up to be a really big day for the cigar industry um, and in really in general. Um, on August second, there's a formality of a hearing um, in Sacramento on the California. Uh, flavor referendum. Uh, There's also the deadline for the federal flavor ban, submitting comments uh, to the FDA in their proposed flavor ban. And then also our brief is due in uh, the the court case that I referenced on the remedy um, for the um, FDA being found arbitrary capricious um, with the deeming regulation. So that day, wow. a lot of stuff going on. In the midst of that, you know I, I, we had the, the tax uh, effort that has you know popped up. We had 30 congressional meetings um, our team this week alone. Wow, trying to educate folks uh, about you know what's going on there. And then there's all these other issues in the background. You know we, we shed light on the most important ones. But, you know, what would you say, Glenn? Three, 400 bills of the 30,000 are, are somewhat relevant to, you know, premium cigars?
2: What's amazing is we got to go from 30,000 to about 300 that we have to pay attention to. And that 300 is then chiseled down to about 20 that we really actively engage the retail and consumer community on just, I'm talking about just in 2022. And wow. uh, and here it is, we just really are wrapping up the last of the state legislative season for this year. And within 60 days, we'll be start start confronting pre-filing for 2023. Right. And the pre-filing will probably I could you know look into the political crystal ball today based upon what's happened in the last five years of state politics and I can pretty well predict what's going to be f- pre-filed going into 23. You're going to see local authority legislation introduced in Kentucky, uh, and now that it's passed in Tennessee with cigar bar and cigar shop exemptions, but because they're border states, they'll add some emphasis to that. Uh, flavored tobacco bans will be reintroduced in Maine and Colorado, And it almost got through in Colorado this year, and the bill died in the last literally three hours of their state legislative session. Excuse me. Um, You can predict tax measures being introduced in Massachusetts, possibly Illinois. Um, You can probably predict uh, licensing legislation introduced and reintroduced in Virginia and Georgia. Uh, tax increase reintroduced in Mississippi and West Virginia that'll die quickly but it becomes almost second nature you can virtually predict what's going to be introduced in every single state then a few of them are curveballs that you don't anticipate on the the positive front we we know that the legislation for a tax cap and cigar bar legislation will be uh, alive and well and introduced in the state of New York again and that legislation's Picking up positive momentum there, wow. um, so you know. Again, you can work yourself. Or I keep a national map in front of me at my desk, and I sit there and say, "All right, today's the Ohio day," um, and and kind of discern where your priorities are and where you have to engage it with our our constituency of, of thousands of cigar shops and millions of consumers to help pass the good stuff and kill the bad stuff.
0: Yeah you know it's uh you know talk to talk a little bit about why um you know i know the answer to this but but you know when i when i talk like this you know a lot of people just say ah you know you're you're pessimistic um you know but like flavored tobacco ban, it's a great example right is that you know not a single person i know smokes flavored tobacco right i i mean they, they just don't so so as a result, this doesn't hit their radar. They don't get concerned about it. They certainly don't l- write letters, um, you know, on behalf of industry, um, expressing their displeasure over this pending regulation. Um, but you know, I, I believe all these things set a precedence, right? That they they start one place. They start in the easy place. They get that through. That makes the next fight a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And before you know it, you know, there there is a bill that directly impacts something that you're passionate about. You know, but by then, there's so much precedent set that, that if you choose to get into that fight at that moment, um,
1: you've got a real fight on your hands. So, I, I I agree with you completely. I, I mean, the opposition moves the goalposts. As soon as Tobacco Twenty One was passed, they were trying to get traction on Tobacco Twenty Seven. So you know, it, it's that's a a perfect example. You know, with the flavor fight, you know, we we we. And PCA and our, our partners, Cigar Rights of America, we don't consider flavored cigars to be premium cigars, but we know that our, some of our retailers carry those products. And if it hurts the overall business of specialty tobacco retailing, that's why we're going to weigh in. We're going to challenge the rationale um, and the, the benefits, which they don't exist, um, for prohibiting a product. We are not in the business of, prohibiting products that are our, our membership sells, So, you know, there are two very separate issues of, of flavor bans and premium cigars, but the vagueness of the rule itself, you know, uh, the, and I'm speaking of the federal rule, you know, there's this term characterizing flavor. So the cigar you're holding Cigar, you know, your magazine or cigar aficionado or, uh, you know, half wheel or, or any of the cigar media out there might say that that cigar has notes of cocoa or chocolate or cinnamon. That, could, that speech could be prohibited based off of the most strictest interpretation of this rule. And we believe and we're asserting in our comment that is a, a chilling of free speech. That's the, the terminology that we're using. That the industry, manufacturers, retailers, and media such as yourself, should be able to accurately describe the product for enjoyment. Uh, and and you know, non non flavored cigars, they have these characterizing descriptors in it. Furthermore, you know, there's a lot of folks that you know, like you and I, don't smoke flavored cigars, but there is a segment that will you know enjoy occasionally a, a bourbon infused cigar and the popularity of craft spirits with premium cigars especially in the last two years has really caught on people that enjoy craft spirits and and craft uh you know handmade cigars some people want to you know combine them together occasionally and that's something that we uh you know we're, we're weighing in on so we don't want to see more and more of the market take a hit for no reason well and well, we don't well, know, we don't know further, how
2: far. i'm sorry go ahead
0: well well just a quick point i, I mean i think even further and, and this is why you know i wanted to have you on and introduce you to the broader audience even those that you know may not partake in cigars yet um and i say yet because we're going to convert them all but um you know, if if they're able to to regulate premium cigars based on language and descriptors of this language saying something described as uh, like a cocoa aftertaste, for example, is a good example, right? Um, that kids may find that appealing, I presume, is their argument, right? So, um, therefore, we should uh, strip that out or, or outright ban anything described as such. Well, like, couldn't couldn't and shouldn't that argument equally be applied to alcohol
1: well and and that's the concern if you look at um you know outside of the united states in europe that's where it's headed like the regulation front tobacco is extremely extremely regulated um more so in europe than in the united states because of our our court system and their system of government and i've had you know conversations with our counterparts over there They are at alcohol right now, and that regulation is starting to um, proliferate. But the next thing is caffeine, sugar. You know, there there is an agenda um, that uh, this health agenda. Once you check off one box, it be you know the organization is not going to stop. They're not going to quit. And a lot of these are, are are funded by Michael Bloomberg. Um, as as you know, is very anti-firearm, very anti—you know—big gulp as, as as his you know history as mayor. He's, but he's he's anti everything I love, and, and and anti-tobacco. So you know you you are even seeing in organizations that are anti-tobacco, <clears throat> they are getting involved in mission creep in these other areas <clears throat> that are parallel and very similar so you're absolutely right there's an in- interconnectedness of your audience and these other highly regulated adult um you know areas let, let me ask you a question that um you know I personally
0: even you know I'm, I'm skeptical these days but does do, do individuals writing letters on your behalf? Does that, does that help you? Does that carry any kind of weight at all? Or is it, is it just a waste of time? Because it feels like the individual voice doesn't matter anymore. Uh,
2: Personally, I I think it does matter. Um, I've been in too many congressional offices where there's a staff member at that front desk telephone, keeping a a spreadsheet on the yeas and nays on significant issues that are that calls are coming into the members' office on, and the true significance of it is, and and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, you've been sitting there with me in those waiting rooms, waiting on the, a staff, uh, a staff meeting, where they specifically ask, are you in the congressman's district, are you in the legislator's district, and that's the magic, that's the secret sauce is that and that's the reason we have a zip code associated with every letter that we have sent in through our system is that it goes into the specific legislator representing that specific constituent Mm -hmm. and now you've got you know house races and state legislative races being determined by 100 votes by 200 votes and and the premium cigar community nationally is roughly three million individuals well there's not a special interest group in the country that wouldn't give their right arm for three million constituents right and you take our, our industry, which is so heavily headquartered in Pennsylvania and Florida. Well, the last I checked, there are two important states to being elected uh, president of the United States. Um, and that's a part of the, our coalition building exercise. But to go back to the, the foundation of your question, as I think it's equating specific constituents with their member to make a difference and and it helps us because we can track this and it helps us to be able to go into a member's office whether in a state capitol or or in congress and say well you know congressman you know you know delegate you know representative you know 7912 of your constituents you know feel this way on our, our issue well 7,912 constituents can sway an election pretty bloody quickly in, in, in this political environment that we live in today. And being able, that's where, again, I go back to our political sophistication level is just rising exponentially uh, every day, every month, every year that, that this industry is under threat. I've said for a long time, the best thing to come out of the regulatory process, it has forced us to research ourselves. Right. And now we have amassed a tremendous amount of research at a tremendous cost to this industry. Plus, we've amassed research done by the government that they probably didn't want us to have, that documents that were not a threat to public health, that were not a threat to children, that were not selling to kids under the age of 18. Um, the the research is there that's been both established by the industry and the government to make the case for us. And. Again, educating the consumer, the public, and the political community as to what that means is gonna better protect this industry.
1: And and that research is incredibly important, but you have to humanize the issue too. And, And that's where the power of the voter and the constituent comes in. It's a lot easier entering a congressional office or a state legislative office from a position of strength, saying, you know, we have 30 small businesses in your district and we have 3000 constituents that are passionate about this issue enough to write a letter. A lot of these are, are form written. Um, and, and, you know, I, I understand the argument that some people feel um, disenfranchised and, and, right. and they don't feel as though that their voice is being heard. Um, we, we, we have to change that because You know, at at the end of the day, I've seen it happen on the other side where, you know, the anti-tobacco groups are able to get, you know, 100,000 comments sent on an issue. And then the FDA cites that, saying that the overwhelming majority of comments that were submitted um, is is the rationale that they're taking. So, you know, it's offense and defense. We want to ensure that the comments are rooted in fact and there's quality to them, but we also have to diversify the voices. So, and, and, and how I mean that is having consumers, retailers, manufacturers, you know, the, the three parts of that triangle, um, we are gonna be successful when we have those three united um, pushing forth a message. Our job is really to tee up the, the legislative process, and inform people but if things are going to get done or and this goes for positive and negative if we're getting things done positively it's because we're getting the support from retailers consumers and manufacturers if we're not getting that support you know we might be able to stave off some stuff or delay or or push it to the courts but you know a a lot of the, the defeats that that we see and, and there really hasn't been all of that many for premium cigars in in the, you know, the 10, 12 years that Glenn has been working with um, it, within the industry, you know, we've taken a few on the chin, but I think that it's because of a lack of participation. I would look at, at, at a lot right. of those. If we get increased participation, and we can drive our numbers to the level that these anti groups are doing. Our challenge is we have to do it with a lot less resources. Yeah. But um, you know we, we have to play in that that field.
0: Well, I think that you know I, I, I mean the, re- the reason why I, I was so passionate about doing this and again, you know we you know we don't want to turn it into a political publication, but you know that, that said, you know I, I think um, as part of an American lifestyle publication and celebrating freedom, um, when, when any freedom is under attack, it's, it, it, to me, it's attacking all freedom, um, because, you know, they're not going to stop, you know, there. And, and I think to me, you know, the big reminder to, to our audience as a whole is, is simply that I, I don't think most Americans, most reasonable Americans would dispute some of the, the specific agenda items they claim to be trying to address, right? Like, you know, within firearms, you know, nobody wants mass shootings, of course not. Like, that's ridiculous. There isn't a single firearm owner, I can imagine, who says, yes, I think that's a good thing, go for it. Um, In the same way as marketing tobacco to children, I I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think any, you know, tobacco smoker would say, yes, I believe you should, you know, wrap that up like it's a toy and sell it in a toy store, um, you know, and and get them hooked on nicotine at nine years old. Right. Um, So so I think that, you know, for our audience, what I always try to remind people when I'm having this discussion is, you know, is what they're proposing? The solution to what they're trying to prevent. So you know, huh. if you're trying to prevent minors from enjoying flavored tobacco, is the solution outlawing flavored tobacco for everybody? Like you're no, trying to tell me there, you have no other means or mechanism of enforcing a law other than the outright abolition of the product you're trying to prevent getting into the hands of the minority of the universe that you claim is causing the problem. And and, and especially that's, you know, amplified within the firearms community if, of, you if, know, if 0.1% if, if is causing the problem, Your solution is an outright ban of everybody, even though 99.9999% of people are law-abiding, responsible people with that particular product or whatever it happens to be. Your solution is to protect me from myself so that these few troublemakers
1: supposedly can't get their hands on it. That seems reasonable it's it's lazy and bad policy i mean you you look at it with the the flavor fight you know it's um you know you have uh an objective that doesn't match um the The solution the the solution so you know there are existing mechanisms to prevent Use from these products. You have to be 21. And this is something that Congress passed. And it's funny because an outright flavor ban was debated by Congress and ultimately objected. So they have to use regulatory creep in order to achieve this. But see, that, but see
0: that's, that's my point and reminder is that I think that we become numb to this without stepping back and really thinking at the context of the big picture, right? Is... You know, do the, the simple question for me is always, as an adult, as a grown American, do, do you feel you need the government to protect you from things?
2: Let's put this in context. The FDA has done over a million, over a million compliance inspections on the retail community in this country since it had regulatory power in 2009, well over a million. Think about that. There's been approximately a 94.6% compliance rate with those over a million spot inspections of retail community. And that includes cigarettes, for God's sake. That includes, you know, I watched these, these offenses that are posted and the convenience store community, even with the vast number that they get cited on, it's still a little over 94% compliance rate at the retail community level. Right. That being said, the National Association of Tobacco Alerts has touted a study that was done by, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's like a, a school administrators type of uh, association. And that, so it was a total non-tobacco oriented study. And that study clearly substantiated that the vast number of underage youth that are getting their hands on tobacco is coming through social sources. Mm -hmm. Uncle Bob bought it for me. The guy I gave $20 to outside the convenience store got it for me. It came through non-retail channels to the youth. It's not our fault that's what I'm saying. It's not our, and it bloody well is not our fault at the premium cigar shop level where, you know, you're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a fraction to try to find a non-compliant single
1: citation. And and one of the things that we've been working on recently, even though it is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, you know, we're putting self policing mechanisms into our own industry and saying these are best practices. This is retail standards of how a business should operate, you know, educating folks. You know, we at the trade show, we were giving out the age verification stickers for the register and for the uh, signs that are are outside of of, of, the shop and lounge. So, you know, we're making a concerted concerted effort on that front because we know that that's allegedly their top <coughs> priority. Um, but you know, that we're our messages to the FDA enforce the existing rules that are in place that were duly passed by Congress and don't over overextend yourself into areas where there isn't, isn't a problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean the, to me simply put, I, I mean the the solution to the, the, the solution isn't more laws, right? You already have laws regulating these things and preventing yeah. the things that you're trying to prevent. Put your time and focus on better enforcement of the existing regulations. Don't don't create more. So I I think that you know, my my goal certainly is to bring awareness to this issue, because, you know, we, we, we have a, you know, a sizable audience and the overall community in these three areas is, is a massive group of Americans that, that hopefully, um, you know, I, I think are, you know, they, they, they have a good appetite for a fight once in a while um they believe in freedom in america and they they just don't really believe that the fights at their doorstep yet because maybe you know it, it, they're, they're not attacking the one thing that they love for example but i think the my point behind having you guys on is to just bring you know uh you know both specific to our cigar industry that we love you know, but also a general awareness that that each of these fights actually do impact you whether you realize it or not. And and if we could all band together and show that, you know, each time, um, you know, a state or a local municipality or certainly the federal government tries to step in and do one of these things that they're met with, you know, a a very loud, vocal opposing force, um, you know, backing you guys up that you know hopefully over time and enough of those um your job starts getting a
1: little bit easier see i'm trying to be an optimist (laughs) absolutely well we would encourage your listeners and kind of the the parting words would be you know visit cigaraction.org premiumcigars.org and fightflavorbands.org um, you know, the premiumcigars.org is our main website, a lot of information, a lot of uh, statistics and research, cigaraction.org, you can sign up for free to receive our email alerts. And as Glenn mentioned with the zip code there, you know, you, we will send you stuff that's tailored to your state or your locality in addition to the federal stuff. So we're not going to over inundate people. You know, mo- most folks will get three or four emails from us a year um, of the utmost important things that affect their communities, affect their states, and then overall uh, uh, cigars. And then, you know, before August 2nd, you know, visit fightflavorbans.org and get your comments out there. Uh, I'm sure that we'll have another, another site uh, ready to go for the referendum after we get through this federal area uh, in California. And we're happy to keep you up to date on everything else. As uh, they transpire as a trend now
0: that it's amazing and and i really just have to you know encourage our readers and listeners you know to to get involved man like you see this stuff going on and and i hear all of you talk like oh you know i can't even watch the news anymore like it drives me crazy this and that but you know guys like like you know josh and glenn i mean they're they're out there fighting for you i mean this is their passion this is their life and you know they they need a force multiplier they need some help and honestly like you guys have made it so damn easy it's ridiculous right you don't have to be you know hemming and and craft some amazing letter from scratch you know i mean you've created the damn letter you know if you type your name it auto fills everything for christ's sake like you know you you hit submit it sends it to them like you know seriously people like I, I mean, you know, pour, pour a drink, light up a frickin cigar and, you know, just sit there and fill out forms for these guys and frickin help them out. You know, give them some ammunition in their belt, for Christ's sake. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, you, you're out there, you know, fighting with bows and arrows against an army, for Christ's sake. Like help these guys out a little bit. Um, and and, you know, as always, you know, we're we're about that American freedom. We're about celebrating it. And, and certainly defending it as well. Um, you know, foreign and domestic was the motto. And, and unfortunately, sometimes that is a domestic fight, and I encourage everybody to get going. Um, also for... Um, your retailers out there at PCA, you know, um, a lot of them we met recently and, uh, you know, they loved what we were doing and everything. So we did put together, um, you know, kind of a special thing to help them just at our cost. Um, if they want to promote the publication and put it in their shops for their customers, um, we give it to them at our cost um, and they can reach out to us directly and uh, and get that to, you know, get the word out there, get their um, their own customers involved in the fight as well. Um, we're going to post this podcast, and also I think in the upcoming issue we're going to have uh, an article from you, Josh. You know, on behalf of PCA about how people can get more involved in and in some of the things that are looming out there. And I I hope that that's a regular voice um, in our pages, and that we do this again, um, you know, several times. You know, just to to keep it at the forefront of people's attention because. Uh, You know what you guys are fighting for you know you're you're a small army but you're you're really moving the needle on our behalf i'm grateful you know that you guys do what you do that you guys you know chose to do what you did um you know you 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 could have just you know college drinking old milk instead you decided to graduate and get out here and <laughs> get in the fight so you know i'm uh, i'm grateful for that i'm grateful for for what you guys do on our behalf um so you know anything that that we can do um to help in that and and hopefully anything that uh, our audience can do to help you guys um please continue to come on and come back and let us know what we can do to to be a force multiplier for you guys
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having us on. We appreciate it. And, and when you're in D.C. ever, please come by and have a smoke with us. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Absolutely. And it's perfectly
0: legal
2: in the office.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, then maybe we need to relocate the headquarters to uh, to, to Washington.
2: Just to keep this in mind, and I'll, it goes back full circle to where this conversation began. If you don't believe that they'll come after cigars and alcohol, you're sadly mistaken. And if you don't believe they're gonna come after caffeine and cheeseburgers, you're sadly mistaken, because they are next, they are next. And the nanny state is very alive, very well, very well financed, very well organized. And uh, it just means that all the the basic enjoyments of, of life are consistently under threat. You know, it's like what George Burns said, I give up all your vices to live three more years in the geriatric ward. No, thanks.
0: <laughs> all right gentlemen well listen i'm uh i'm grateful for all you do and uh thank you very much for sharing time and information with us and uh we look forward to having you guys on again but uh, keep up the good work thank you so much
2: thank you